they're easy to find. There's a room full of them. Um, I do just want to address the, the elephants in the room. Some of you have noticed my face is very swollen. Um, Josh has joined an MMA gym. And they do say that you're not supposed to take your hobbies to work. Um, the, his gym has got nothing to do with my face. I had a cancer cut out uh, and there's some swelling. So that out of, that's out of the way. Then you, the, I keep thinking of that Michael McIntyre dentist co uh, comedy sketch where he walks into the ER and he looks fine and he turns around and he's like, Rah! and they're like, ah! Um, thank you, worship team, so much for this morning. A long weekend. I wasn't sure who's going to be around. And then a stage full of uh, beautiful worshipers and leading us in extraordinary songs. I, I think I, get, I got stunned a few times in worship, like, man, these things are true that we're singing. We're not just singing fantastic songs that people have written. We, we're singing these incredible truths about God. Um, so just felt so blessed. And so just thank you, team. Josh, man, you were like a, uh, doing so much, changing <laughs> guitars, tuning guitars. But it never, it never felt distracting. We just were worshiping in that. So thank you so much, team. Um, we don't get to see what goes on in the background. And then you just arrive and lead us in wonderful worship. And so all of you beautiful, beautiful voices, wonderful uh, musicians, thank you so much. Um, I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do today. I, I, I woke up this morning and I was reflecting on, I was going through my sermon. It was very cold. I didn't want to get out of bed. So I was just going through my notes in my head. And uh, I started getting the thought, the, what started coming to mind was sitting down and just talking to you about the text like this. I don't think I'm going to sit for long because I don't like sitting and talking. But but I just want to kind of get the picture out of my head because that's what there was. And I, I got, I've kind of chucked out my notes this morning and thought we'll just look at the text a little bit um, and see what God has for us. Um, and I think then Nass also sent me a message. That's how we communicate at home. She just sends me messages <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> I get that it's more clear. Uh, and um, feeling similar lines. So I kind of said to Nass, why don't you just join me? Let's just talk to the church. Uh, you'll have to interrupt me because I'm not really sure what I'm doing, um, and we'll see how we go. All right, so worst case scenario, we're going to talk about Jesus for a little while, and we're going to talk about the Bible. Uh, best case scenario, a clear, clear message will come through and uh, reach some of our hearts. They say um, you can expect 20% of a sermon to be fruitful. Uh, I have a much lower expectation than that in general. I heard 20%. I was like, what? Are you, you must be talking about Tim Keller or someone <laughs> like this. But I, I do reckon that God might be on to something this morning. So let me pray for us. And then maybe we could just lean in together and see what, what's going on, all right? Father God, I, I thank you for our times together. Even on this long weekend, I, pr I, I think that we can gather. Um, I pray for those who have some time off to rest and um, recuperate. God, would you bless them, look after them. May they know your presence. We have such a beautiful city. Uh, whether they're at beaches or cafes or just having a sleep in, God, will they know, would they know your presence? Would you interrupt their thoughts and uh, just to let them know of your love, even this beautiful text that we've read. Um, would you, Holy Spirit, bring the love of God home to them? Um, for those of us in this room, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to gather in this way. It really is. Thank you for this nation that allows us to gather in this way, Lord. May we never take it for granted. Um, Father God, I thank you for those who don't know you who are here today and those who do. Would we glorify you? Would you just help us through the next 20 or so, 20 or 30 minutes? Would you just help us as we look at this text, 
and we try and understand it and we see what it's saying to our hearts. Would you just help us, please, Father God, um, in your wonderful name. Amen. Uh, word for King's Cross, quickly. My daughter, my eight-year-old daughter was asked uh, by a teacher in her public school, um, what kind of church do you go to? Because Liberty is quite uh, vocal about her faith. She said, I go to a Christian church, I think. <laughs> uh, she doesn't really know what to call it. So she, the lady said, well, what kind of Christian church do you go to? What do you, uh, and she came home and she said, Dad, I don't understand. What kind of church do I go to? And um, so I was like, well, she, what she's probably trying to understand is if you go to a more kind of high formal church where I might wear dresses and robes or uh, we may have like smoking handbags or, or things like that. Or if you go to a church where people are falling over all over the place and um, or some, she's probably trying to understand what you experience when you go to church. And she go, she said, oh, oh, well, that's easy. I experience people loving each other. Um, I thought that's a, what, a, what a wonderful commendation from an eight-year-old to the church that she's been in all her life. I don't know what kind of church I go to, but people love each other. That's what I experience. Um, so to King's Cross, uh, beautiful. Jesus above all, others before ourselves. Uh, may that be the message that everyone experiences. What I experienced was people loving each other. For those of you who may not have grown up as a Christian or may not be a Christian, and, and every week I delight that most weeks there's people who are curious about Jesus who come. Um, I just want to take a couple minutes to explain this, this book called the Bible. So if you have a Bible or you don't have a Bible, what is the Bible? Why, why, do we, why are we learning from the Bible each week? Um, I mean, just, just a quick Bible in a nutshell. The Bible starts with how God created everything, the heavens and the earth. And it says there that God created, the last thing He created was male and female. He, he created humanity as the prize of His creation. He said of everything it was good, but then He said of humanity it was very good. And then He set humanity in charge of creation. Um, he gave humanity one uh, tree not to eat from. He said, don't eat from that. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from it. Um, and the serpent came into the garden and said to them, and here's, here's the thing, here's the big question. Did God really say, was, what he, was how he got them, did God really say don't eat from it? And then he gave them a, a false truth. He said, the, the, the thing is, the reason God doesn't want you to have that is because if you have that, you will be like God. And that sounded good to them because God is good. So, and so they did, they went against what God told them not to do, and they did it, and they brought sin into this world. I know sin is a word that people hate to hear. Um, I showed a, a, a college, a fellow colleague, uh, student at school, something I was writing, and said, would you just read this and, and tell me from an outsider's perspective, because this is, we're writing this from the church to outsiders, does this make, does this make sense to you? What, what do you think of it? And the only thing they asked me to change, and it, it, it there was much that could have been changed. The only thing they asked me to change was, could you just take the word sinner out? Um, when I explained the logic, well, it's, it's not very good news unless there's bad news, right? Like, what sense does, the gospel, what, what sense does it make if there's nothing bad to save someone from? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, leave sinner in. But that's the reaction. Get, get sinner out. Get sinner out. Let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about badness. Let's get rid of that. The problem is, as soon as we do that, we get rid of any need for any good news. So Adam and Eve brought sin into this world, and all of us have been born into it. So if you're not a Christian, and you think Christians think they're superior, let me just tell you they don't. Christians think that they are sinners, that they are broken people in need of rescuing. 
Um, they've identified that, they've accepted that, they no longer think they're superior to anyone, and they are trusting in God to save them. That's how the story begins. Sin comes into creation. And then it goes through and, and through different phases and different stories just to show how broken people really are. And there's, there's really never a time where people aren't broken. And how people try to replace God and try to be God and try to get rid of God or try to earn a salvation. And time and time again, God shows that He alone can do it. And He gives that message that He's going to send someone who can do it, that He's going to save. And that's His promise again and again. Then we get to, that's, that's kind of how the Old Testament ends. God's going to do it. Then we get to the second part of the Bible called the New Testament. And God's answer comes. God enters the world. He enters humanity through the, the womb of Mary. So the Holy Spirit places the seed into Mary's womb. Uh, through, it's, it's miraculous. Jesus is born, so God enters humanity. He's fully God, but fully man. And He has to do that because He has to understand or empathize with our weaknesses. You can't have someone rescue you in a, in a set form of justice. You can't have someone come into the court of law that is a criminal themselves. You know, imagine I, go, I speed and Josh speeds and Josh comes into the courtroom and goes, I'll rescue him and pay his fine. The judge would go, well, you can't do that. You have your own fine to pay for. Uh, or you can, but you have to pay for both. So Jesus has to come uh, as a human to stand in our place. But he is without sin. He never sins. Um, and so he's able to stand in our place. And just as the Bible says, just as one person brought sin into the world for all people, one man brought a way for all people to be redeemed. And so Jesus Christ dies for us on the cross because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, the consequence of sin is death. So the consequence of parking in the wrong place up here is $100. The consequence of sin or rebellion against God or trying to be God in your life is death. Um, and and we, none of, we know that we're not made to die. Death is not natural for... We, we fight that. Uh, it's not natural for any of us. And so Jesus dies in our place on the cross. And then he's raised to life three days later. And he says that uh, he has been given a name, uh, an authority over all things. And he now is able to call people into eternal life. He's able to give life. And Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he says, While you were dead in your sins, so not, not literally dead. He says, While you were spiritually dead in your sins. In other words, you're going to end up just dying and, and being without God. While you were in that state, before you, you, you couldn't do anything. God has saved you. He has rescued you. He has brought you to life. And that means uh, He's given you faith to believe in Jesus. And through that, uh, the Bible talks about we are adopted as children of God. And when you adopt a child, it's not like a rental. You don't have it for a while and then give it back. You adopt a child into your family. I have a friend who adopted a child. Uh, the boy came home. And he slept in his parents' room for a little while, but he had grown up in an orphanage where he lived in a crib for years. And so he would get up at night, stand on the corner of his mattress, and just pee in his very uh, comfortable house in Claremont. Um, just pee from the mattress onto the floor. Uh, so just because he was adopted into the family doesn't mean he understood how the family lived. It took a while to learn how to uh, pee in a toilet. And that's how we are. We're adopted, but we don't exactly act like we're part of the family always. We still mess up. We still pee off the side of our mattress. And that doesn't mean we're not adopted. God doesn't kick us out the family. Um, he keeps loving us and teaching us, and the Holy Spirit keeps working upon us. And then the, the story ends with Jesus returning 
uh, and bringing us into a new heaven and a new earth where death is no more. Where life as you know inside, you know life is supposed to be without pain, without suffering, without death, without fear, without worry, without anxiety, without hatred, without enemies. You know that inside of you. You can feel that. And Jesus restores us to that. He does what only He can do. And so what's impossible for us is possible for God. That's what this is about. And so whenever we're reading anything, we're at some point in that story and we're looking at um, what Jesus is teaching us, what God is teaching us through that story. That's the gospel, the good news that Jesus has done for you what you not, cannot do for yourself. So here in this text, we, we get to Luke 18, uh, verse 18, and we've got uh, a rich, Matthew says a rich young, he adds, he adds that he's young, ruler. Um, this is the kind of person, think about this, it's the kind of person that you and I uh, kind of look up to, right? They're, they're rich, they're young, they're a ruler. Sorry, we look up to them as in they've got everything going. Would you agree? Yeah. They've got youth, uh, which probably means health. They've got wealth, so no worries in that sense. And they've got power, influence, right? I mean, that's... So if you take that into like a high school situation, it's like the coolest people in the high school. They could like hang out with whoever they want, do whatever they want, you're like, oh, those people haven't made. I wish I could be them, right? Uh, or if you think of work, it's, you, you have those same kinds of people in every kind of work environment or social environment or neighborhood. Um, you, you know the kinds I'm talking about? So this kind of person comes to Jesus and they're curious about Jesus. They think well of Jesus I mean, isn't this exactly the kind... You're like, how would you feel? How would you feel if the coolest person in your school or the, the most... Uh, the person at the top at work, whoever the top dog is in your workplace, um, or whoever runs the show in your neighborhood, how would you feel if they arrived at church or at your house and they were curious about Jesus, they thought well of Jesus, they were interested in, And their major concern was eternal life. I mean, I, I know me, I'd be jumping up and down going like, oh yes, like, miracle! This is awesome! This person's like keen on Jesus. This, they're concerned about the major things in life. They've turned their back on everything the world has and they care about what we should all care about and they think well of Jesus. And I think, mistakenly, I might lead them to believe that they have all they need for salvation. They think well of Jesus, they're curious about Jesus, and they care about eternal life. Jesus, not so much. Help me out here a little bit. And I don't mean this rhetorically. I mean, seriously, help me out here. What are the ways that churches or any other form of society tell people that there are means that, by which people are saved? Uh, so I'll give you one. Yeah, thank you, thank you Jeannie for adding the confusion to your face. I needed to know where we were at. Okay, so it makes no sense. Good. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm trying to ask. Is So in, in some church traditions, uh, you may be christened or baptized as a baby, and because of that, you are now a Christian. Regardless of what you believe or do in your life, the church makes you saved. So a tradition of a church, a man-made tradition, a person in a robe, decides that you are now one of God's people. 
So there's an example of what I'm trying to say. What, what other traditions or uh, things do, do we offer to suggest that by which people might be saved? Being a good person. Being a good person. Great. Yes. Very cultural. Yeah. That's definitely not a way that people in King's Cross think that they're, that they're <laughs> saved. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sometimes I wish we could just lie about that. <laughs> uh, there was another, someone else said something? Works. Yeah. Salvation prayer. Yeah. Have you guys, the sinner's prayer, ever heard of the sinner's prayer? I've been asked a few times, can you pray the sinner's prayer with this person? Have you ever been asked to pray the sinner's prayer with someone? Yeah. This magic prayer that makes you a Christian. Reading the Bible. Reading the Bible? Uh, what was the last one? Daily. Daily. Yeah. And therefore, not reading the Bible, you should, if you're not reading it, you question, where am I at with God, right? So all your confidence is built on that. Yeah. Right. Did anyone else grow up? I, I did this for a while, around 13. Every night before you go to bed, just confessing everything in case you died so that you make sure you go to heaven. <laughs> Confession as a means of salvation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I give to the. I give. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Having certain experiences. Yes, like. For some religions, God wants you to meditate till you reach nirvana, and that's that's what you do. Yeah. So experiences. Yeah. Speaking in tongues. Yeah. Shocking, but yes. Keeping the Ten Commandments. Yeah? Anything else? Coming to the front of an altar call? Right? Or raising your hand. Who wants to be saved? Eyes closed. Just raise your hand. Who wants to receive Jesus? I raised my hand. I know I got saved. Right. Doctrinal agreement. Sacrifices. Sacrifices. Church membership. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Confidence in our testimonies. Helping other people. Helping other people. Yeah. In some religions, you need to pray five times a day. Go to temple, certain amount, or, or or your religious building, a certain amount of times. Is it hot in here, or is it just me? I can take my jacket off. It's terrible. Can we put the heat off? I feel like I have menopause. <laughs> I'm wearing. I can take my jacket off, but I'm glad there's consensus. Um, okay, so here's a guy and. And we need to be careful of giving people ways by which they might be saved. Yeah. Um, and here's a guy who's got everything. He's curious about Jesus. He thinks well of Jesus and he cares about eternal life. We, it would be very easy to think this is the kind of guy that Jesus wants to save. This, is guy, this guy is, is going to be saved. And uh, what's surprising, now, now add one more thing, that, in that the Jews believed 
that uh, kind of a good life, a wealthy life, power and prosperity was a sign of God's blessing. So there's two things happening. One is, look at this guy's position and his, so his power and his possessions, he's wealthy and he's in a position of power. God has blessed him, so he has God's favor. And he is curious about God and cares about eternal life. Yes, this is like a salvation, a match made in heaven. Jesus doesn't think so, though. What we're going to find out is one, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Jesus kind of says, he brings it down to one thing you lack. So he starts off with, firstly, ways to be saved through words. And a bunch of you have said a, a bunch of ways to be saved by words. Um, Lizzie said confession. Someone said prayers. Uh, so way, testimony. Ways to be saved by words. How, how does someone become a Christian? Through using the right words, through praying the sinner's prayer, through, um, as was said, I think by Sammy. Um, and Jesus says, well, you know, that's not going to save you. Calling me good, he, that's his first question to the guy. Why do you call me good? And the, the, the guy's much closer than he realizes. Because the, uh, in the Talmud, the Jewish uh, book, good was never used for a person. It was only ever used for God. So by calling Jesus good teacher, he's, he's saying, you divine teacher, you God teacher. It's a high respect. Jesus is saying, why do you call me good? Only God is good. In other words, if we could understand the culture better, what we're hearing Jesus say is, um, hey, you're close. Are you calling me good because you know I'm God? Or are you just, is that just fluff? The guy's close. His language is close. He's maybe saying this in his prayer. He's maybe raising his hand and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm keen about, yeah, I mean, if, if you get eternal life this way, what, what, like, what's heaven like? Yeah, okay, I'm in. I'll, I'll take that. Jesus says, that's not, that's not the way to be saved. That's not it. That's not how you're going to get eternal life. Then he goes, the guy's question is, what can I do? What can I do to receive eternal life? What can, and is that... Are you interested? If the question was asked, and I think this is something Nas may talk about later, if the question is asked, what would you do? In my pocket, I have a key to eternal life. And I'll give it to you. What are you willing to do for it? Eternal life. Never die. No suffering. No pain. All joy. All celebration. In God's presence. With God's people. Whatever your most delightful moment is, that time's a million, always. It's yours. How much are you willing to pay for it? Or what will you give up for it? Anyone who's interested in eternal life, what would you say? Everything? Would anyone say any less than everything? Would any of you say, well, 20 bucks? <laughs> I mean, not everything, right? We'd all say everything. But Jesus gets to the real truth another way because that's not, if he said it to the guy like that, he would say everything too. And so he takes him through a little course and he goes, well, keep the law. Do this, do that, do that. He, he, he brings up the law, as Jade said. Jade said, he brings up the law, some of the law. And the man says, all those I've kept. But he clearly doesn't understand Jesus' teaching of the law. So, for example, the law said, don't commit adultery. But Jesus has, had taught that if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So, 
I'm not, this, is, this is a rhetorical question. Raise your hand if you haven't committed adultery, according to Jesus' standard. So Jesus says the law is a reflection, should be a reflection, really of the heart. And through the law, we should find that none of us keep the law. Right? We can keep the outward law. I, I can not commit adultery, but have I ever lusted in my heart? Don't steal. Well, have I ever wanted something that I didn't have? Don't covet your neighbor's possessions or your, or your neighbor's wife. Or don't murder. Have you ever been angry? Jesus takes it to the heart level of anger. So that's where Jesus' level goes, right? Is to the heart. So this guy clearly doesn't know because he says to Jesus, well, I've kept all of that since I was a youth. And what he's really showing is, I don't have a clue what Jesus is talking about. Right? Do you see that? Jesus says one thing you lack. And that should be something that we kind of lean in. Go, what? What is it? And he says, one thing you lack, get rid of your heart idol. Get rid of the thing that is number one in your heart. Put me there. Follow me. Make me number one in your life. And you'll have everything. For him, his heart idol was his wealth. Jesus is not making a way. The way you get saved is you, get, you, you empty your bank account and give it to the poor. That would just be a works righteousness. That would just be another thing I can do to save myself. Jesus isn't saying, go do, you go do something to save yourself. He's saying, go deal with your heart. Get rid of the thing your heart clings to and holds to. Go get rid of that and make it me. Hold to me. Cling to me. I will give you whatever you think your wealth gives you. Security, comfort, ease. Get rid of it. Find your security in me. Trust me. And so all of us have heart idols. You look like you want to interrupt me. You want to interrupt me? Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> um, when I was thinking about this this morning... I sent Mark some notes, but I sent it as an, um, something to ask everyone else, like, hey, have you thought about this? And Mark lovingly challenged, and he's like, babe, you're separating yourself from everybody. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, my whole, I grew up in a Christian home. That's all I've ever known. And I accepted Jesus, became a Christian from a young age. I was doing the whole, like, you know, every night as a kid, going, um, God, save me. Have I done anything that I need to confess? Um, desperately holding on to salvation. And I spent most of my life thinking maybe I was a scratch on Jesus as he hit the cross. Like, I've done everything. I've held, I've lived the life. I've, I've made sacrifices. I've done everything I can. I've been the good girl. And I was just a scratch. And a few years ago, we started talking about the gospel, and I realized, oh, oh, no, 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 mm -mm. I, I'm all of it. I, I was the complete picture. I, I was the reason he had to do what he did. And I, like I look at it with empathy at the rich young ruler because he was like, I've done all these things. Like, just let me, just, just give it to me. Just let me kind of participate, you know. And Jesus is like, no, no, there's one more thing. And I feel like that with God. I'm like, oi, <laughs> I've done all these things. No more. No more sacrifices. No more saying goodbye to people. No more you can't have any more because I've already done it. But the beautiful part that I miss and the rich young ruler misses is what Jesus is asking is like, I'm giving you something so much better and I will help you 
complete the picture. You're not doing it on your own. And me and the rich young ruler are like, yeah, I've done all of these things and I just can't do that next thing. And he missed the opportunity for Jesus to go, but I'm with you. Like, look to me, give it all, and you're going to gain so much more. And so I think for maybe others, or maybe it's just me, (laughs) um, who've been Christians our lives, and you can see the things that you've sacrificed are done, we can even still hold Jesus back from that last aspect of being fully Lord in our lives because we've gone, it's enough now. Like, I, I, I can't, I've done all these goods. Can you just still let me follow you um, and hold on to this one other thing? Um, yeah. So the end of that story is the man walks away sad because what Jesus asks him to give up is bigger in his heart than Jesus can be. And so on a scale, his wealth was greater in significance than Jesus. And so he, he, can't, he can't enter what Jesus is inviting him to. We don't know how the story ends. Maybe, maybe an hour later, things change. We don't know. We don't know what happens. We just move on in the story. The disciples find this striking, and, and the disciples say to Jesus, well, then who can be saved? What they're saying is, if the people who are blessed by God and are interested in God can't be saved, who can be? If the people who have everything from God and, and are asking all the right questions can't be saved, who can be? And that's, a great, that's, a, that's, that's exactly where Jesus needed his disciples to get to. In other words, he needed to get them to get to a point where they were basically saying, it's impossible to be saved. And then Jesus can say, and he does. You can go read in the verses. What's impossible for man is possible with God. In other words, in a very wonderful way, Jesus has led them to see there is nothing you can say or do to save yourself. God has to do it. God has to do it. Am I enough? Have I sacrificed enough? Have I given enough? Have I said enough? Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'll say this many times, but I'll say it one more time. Had a guy come into his office and he asked, this guy was struggling and he said, do you think, consider yourself a good Christian? He said, no, I want to be. I'm trying hard to be. And I want to be a better Christian. And he said, you don't get it. And the man said, what do you mean? And he said, what it means to be a Christian is to believe in Jesus Christ that he is enough. Is Jesus enough? Did Jesus sacrifice enough? Was his death enough? Is his life enough? Is his invitation into his life enough? Is following Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? If faith in Jesus is enough, then a little child who puts their faith in Jesus is a good Christian. And the old person who puts their faith in Jesus is a good Christian. And the person who walks with Jesus for 50 years is a good Christian. And the person who walked with Jesus for five minutes before their death was a good Christian because Jesus was enough for all of them. And our our basis of confidence comes not from what I've said and done, but from who I'm in, who I'm trusting in, who I'm believing in, who I'm clinging to. And even more so, who is clinging to me. 
And then the disciples go with curiosity. And it's wonderful that, that sometimes, as, sometimes we put emotion into the disciples here, and especially on Peter. We put an emotion into the, the story here and we go, man, Peter, he really doesn't get it. Look at him. He's like, we've sacrificed everything. How great are we? Luke's not saying that. In the la- there's nothing in the language that suggests that Peter's doing that. Luke is merely sa- bringing up a question Peter asked. It's most likely that Peter's going, um, Jesus, what does it mean for us because we've, we've literally done the things that you've talked about and where does it leave us? And Jesus brings the good news to them. Peter, he says, he says you know, no one who's left anything for me in this life will, won't receive more in, and in eternal life. Basically, Jesus is saying this, Peter, you've already entered eternal life. Peter, since you started following me, you already entered Salvation is, is quite um, uh, tricky. I'm thinking of uh, hunt, hunt for the wilder people. Jesus is tricky like that. <laughs> Salvation is a bit tricky. It creeps up on you. Oftentimes people get saved and they realize it backwards. Oh, I'm a Christian. How do I know I'm a Christian? Well, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe I'm a sinner who needs salvation. And I believe that my forgiveness is in Jesus. And, and I've asked for that. Uh, I'm not sure what... Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure you are too. And, and it kind of creeps up on Peter. Lord, we've done all of this. I know, Peter. And you will receive in this life and the life to come all the blessings that are coming to you. I think there's a beautiful part there. Because the disciples have kept their eyes on Jesus, they've, they've let go of things. Right, where, where the rich young ruler is coming and is like, okay, now what do I have to do in order to then fall into um, eternity? And I love that idea that we get to, if we're keeping our eye on Jesus, we will let go of things along the way. Those priorities, those things that are taking up our time, the financial security, the comforts of this life, the adventures we seek, the um, relationships, the approval from others... If our eyes are on Jesus, those things do start losing their grip on our lives versus us going, uh, oh, okay, because I've got to try and like remove it from me. I can't do it. We just can't. We can't do it all on our own. But if my eyes are on Jesus and the Holy Spirit's working in my life, then we start putting one foot in front of the other and we realize like Peter going, oh, we've left all this stuff. We are pursuing you. And he didn't feel like he was lacking because he had Jesus in his sight. Um, and I need that. Because I was like, can look at others and be like, how come they haven't made that sacrifice? I did. And I'm like judgmental. Either I'm thinking I'm way better, or I'm thinking like, that's not worth it. They look like they're having so much fun. I could just be doing that. But it's actually, no, I've just got my eyes on Jesus and that one foot in front of the other, and I let go of approval from man. And the fin- holding on to financial security or holding on to that comfort that I want or that big dream that I have in front of me. And I let God put his, what he wants in me. Um, yeah. So let me, let me wrap up this chat and ask and take us to communion. For those of you who are curious about Jesus, you're not sure where you're at yet. Let me put it in a nutshell. Jesus is standing before you. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's inviting you into eternal life. 
He is inviting you into forgiveness. You don't have to hide any sin. You don't have to pretend to be good enough. Any attitude, any thoughts, now and tomorrow, there is forgiveness. Jesus has already suffered for them. And the simple invitation he's offering is relationship with God, to make God your Father. And he's inviting you into eternal life. And he simply says, this is the logic of it. Hey, are you, do you think that a successful career is going to give you a meaningful life? It's not that a successful career is bad. It's great. But it's not going to give you, it's not going to satisfy your desire for eternal life. Do you think having, uh, being in love is going to uh, satisfy you? That came from God. Being in love is a gift from God. But it can't replace having a relationship with God. It will never satisfy you. So don't pursue that. Do you think education or whatever, any experiences, and we can keep naming them, none of that is necessarily bad, but it's not going to be able to offer you what Jesus is offering you. He says, are you willing to put that aside and put me in that place that you look to for satisfaction, for meaning, for purpose? Can you trust me with your life? Can you put me at the center of your, your affection, your heart, your mantle? Can you put me there and trust me that I have a good will for you, a good purpose for you, a good meaning for you, that I'll give your life not only meaning in this life, but life eternal? That's what he offers you. He invites you into it. That's what he died for. And you simply receive it. It's a gift. You simply receive it. For those of you who have received the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, then the question I ask you and I ask myself this morning is, is there anything in the heart that's creeping in? Is there any idol that's creeping in to take center place of our affections? Are we trusting in anything else for our security? Life is a little bit less black and white and it's a little bit more like sitting in the ocean with a current that can't be seen. One day we're exactly where we need to be, then we wake up the next and we've moved downstream. It's okay, but identify it so that you can come back to where you're supposed to be. And today's an opportunity for you to be able to go, yeah, I see I've made my family, or I see I've made my job, or I see I've made my comfort, or I see that in my heart I'm trusting in, and I'm not clinging to Jesus. Let me put that aside. And let me cling back. Let me cling to Jesus. It's just a shift we we need to make regularly. Remind ourselves we're prone to wondering. Those who think they're not prone to wondering, you've already wondered. <laughs> you've already wondered so far. We are prone to wondering. That's why God gives us immeasurable grace because we need it. We always need it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We can have confidence whenever Jesus asks us to put something down because he loved us and he gave up eternity, all the comforts and all the praise, so he could be brutally murdered on a cross. That's the God we're trusting. That's the Jesus that we 
are accepting. And that's the God that we lay everything down for. This meal is so beautiful and simple, and it's accessible for all. It's not a feast that people can't participate. Even the poorest of poor can find something to chew on and something to drink. And Jesus made himself accessible for all. Today you have an opportunity, like Mark, if we're believers in Christ and we've drifted, to just confess whatever that is, whatever our heart is suddenly clinging to today. Um, I had to go searching, and it wasn't very hard to find. It was right there in front of my eyes, the thing that I've held on to and put in place of God a little bit this last little while and confess that. And then I get to enjoy the feast because I know Jesus has paid it all. And for those that have not yet accepted the gracious gift of Jesus, to love him, to let him be Lord of your life, let him lead your life, today's another opportunity where you get to do that. No one can do it for you. I can't. Malcolm says, because we've all got people we love that are not believers, if we could just grab them and throw them into eternity, we would. But we can't. Everybody's got to make that choice for themselves. So this morning, wherever you find yourself, do you know that Jesus is leaning in and leading towards you? He wants you. I I thought he would be proud of me if I lived a life that he didn't have to sacrifice for. But I didn't make that proud. He wasn't proud at that point. He was proud when I put my knees down and went, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you to meet me where I'm at. I need your help. That's when he was so excited because he got to be who he is. And I finally let him be my redeemer and my savior and my Lord and my friend. Let him be himself in your life this morning. As you come to communion, maybe take a second. The music, I'm sure, will start. Just take a second. Don't rush it. Let the Holy Spirit highlight something. Don't be scared. He's loving. Whatever it is that he wants you to give up for him, he'll meet you there. So a slide's going to go... So am I interrupting yeah. you? The slide's going to go up. I mean, let me just pray for us. Read the slide before you come take communion. And uh, if, you're, if you want to talk more about having receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior, let's talk about that. Um, talk's not going to get you saved, but you might be able to receive the gift of salvation. And that would be a privilege to talk to you about.